Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 229 is with Stephen Talty from Good Assassins, the great spy of World War II. How are you? Fantastic. I, You know, I... I, I'm one of those people that I've always been fascinated to World War II, and the reason being is because my father fought in it, and I always and I want to oh, really? learn more and more and more about this war that people are starting to forget about. It's true, yeah. It's, I mean, it was um, a, a time when it was all about World War II, but I think um, a lot of people have moved on, so it's good to to sort of have this opportunity for you to do what you're doing with good assassins season number two is about the greatest spy of world war ii virginia hall why why haven't we heard about this before you know that's a great question because um as you said she played a huge role in world war ii especially leading up to d-day um and she faced a lot of challenges the the french resistance at that time her main area of work was in france um all led by men all the networks were led by men and she was an american she was disabled and she was female so she had three strikes against her just as soon as she got there um and what's so impressive about her is that not only did she serve as a spy she actually pulled together this extensive network uh of dozens and dozens of men and women to fight the nazis and she was just so damn good at it she Mm -hmm helped bring in all these weapons that were used uh, before d-day she broke loose um aviators from prison where they were being held by the nazis and smuggled them back to britain she organized ambushes of nazis on the roads and really became the number one target for the nazis as far as spies go they called her the limping lady and they really brought in uh numerous spies uh, telling them find this woman we want her off the grid and basically we want to kill her. Yeah. So she only, she not only faced, you know, resistance from her own side, from the French, she faced this intense hunt from the Nazis, um, which was very hard to escape. Killed or tortured. What did the Germans really want most? Because I mean, both of it's two completely different things. Well, when it comes to espionage, they definitely went with torture because they wanted her to reveal the names of Mm. her entire network. Um, And that's really one area where she excelled. Uh, I've said before that she had this great spidey sense of who she could trust and who she couldn't trust. And that was the downfall of many spies, male and female in France. They they trusted the wrong people um, because the Nazis were very good at turning people and creating double agents. Mm -hmm. So that's something that Virginia Hall dealt with all the time. People who came to her and said, you know, I wanna join the resistance. I wanna fight for the allies. And she, all she really had to base her trust on was her own impressions of that person so she was very good at separating sort of the the good from the bad and and leading her network that way with the research that you put into good assassins the greatest spy of world war ii um when do you look at today's situation in ukraine and russia and go oh my god there's a story in there and i'm gonna find the next virginia hall you know i have i've i've I follow a lot of Americans who volunteer to go to um, Ukraine um, on Twitter. A lot of them tell their stories there. It's really a fascinating um, story of people who gave up their jobs, left their families, went to fight for freedom. And that's very much the story of Virginia Hall. I mean, she she had a comfortable existence as a journalist in America. She didn't have to go to Europe and, and, and endanger herself the way she did. So I do think there is a common theme of 
you know, Americans seeing peril in the world and tyranny and, and going to fight it. It's, it's really an honorable story. Did Virginia have skills or was it a calling? No matter what, she was going to answer that call. You know, I don't think she knew she had the skills until she got there. Yeah. She she went, um, she always wanted to be a diplomat. She wanted to, you know, go to, who knows, Paris or Buenos Aires as a, a consul or a diplomat for the United States. But at the time, the State Department had a rule that no disabled people could serve as diplomats. So right from the get-go, she was kind of discriminated against because of who she was. Um, so she really never had a chance in America to sort of fully show her skills. But when she got to France, she needed all of her abilities really just, just to survive, mm-hmm. let alone to excel. So yeah, she found that she was a good leader of men, that she was a great organizer. She had all these drops coming in from airplanes um, in you know farmers' fields, and she never missed one. Um, so she earned the respect of the French men pretty quickly. And from there, just developed this really effective network against the Nazis. Was she a visionary? Because, I mean, you talk about D-Day and stuff like that. And with all the connections that she had, she had to have been able to see before it actually happened. Yeah, I think she she did have this gift to see the larger picture. Because um, she was not just a ground level spy passing messages or, you know, talk, talking to Nazi officers. She sort of had to see the full strategic plan of what was happening. So in her, she went to France twice, first for the British and second for the Americans. And during that second trip, I think she started to see what was needed for D-Day to happen. Mm -hmm. And then she, she went to work. So um, again, we think of D-Day, we think of Omaha beach, but there was a lot of prep work that, that went before that to make sure that those guys got off the beach and into the country. Um, and she played a huge part. She brought in a lot of weapons. She turned a lot of ordinary Frenchmen into good guerrilla fighters and spies. And that really laid the groundwork for, for D-Day. There, there's such a subliminal message here in the way that, that you, you said she's leading the men. We're talking about the World War II era, a woman leading men in that time period. What a beautiful story for today's women. I agree. Um, and she was given a chance. I mean, that's all she really asked for. She was not a self promoter. She didn't sort of like want to become a star. She just wanted to serve the cause. Um, and I think initially the French discounted her, you know, they, they didn't really love Americans at that point. Um, they didn't, they didn't want a woman to lead them, but she was just so impressive in those first few months that no one could really doubt her. Um, so she, she, found a lot of allies within the French resistance. Um, and I think over there, she's probably more of a hero than she is here. She's, mm. she's well known. She's honored um, because of what she risked and what she accomplished. Well, she got into the UK spy agency guy. I mean, that, that right there says, hey, I've got, I've got something here that I can let you use as a tool. Absolutely. And she even had to impress the British because most of the women they sent over, you know, were fairly low-level spies. They were used to kind of uh, entice Nazi officers into giving information or to deliver messages. You know, we know of Josephine Baker, the famous jazz singer. Mm -hmm. She passed messages. But Virginia Hall was on a whole different level. She was going over there to really lead a network. And that's a whole different ballgame. You have to be very good with people. You have to be a great organizer. And as you said, you have to have 
a vision of where all these tactics are leading. What is the bigger picture? And she had that gift. One of the greatest things about about your podcast, Good Assassins, the second season, is is the fact that you you tell the story like everything leads to the next to the next. In other words, it's like when when Virginia saved a British pilot. I mean, it was it's one of those things where she's going to need that skill on something else she's going to be doing in the future. It's almost like she was always the student, and then she activated it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. She. There is a great scene where she's with this escaped pilot who's being hunted by the Nazis. They're in a cafe and she has to read the room and she has to read the other person. So she had this emotional intelligence where she could tell not only if you were, you know, a double agent or a fake, she could almost tell what you were going to do just by how nervous you were, were you trustworthy? And she had a sort of honestly a lot of times she had to calm down the men they were the ones getting hysterical (laughs) and they were the ones who were you know prone to rash movements and she was very steady um and so she at one point broke 12 british aviators out of a prison smuggled them back to to london um and in france in 1942 that is a feat that is almost you know almost unmatched because very few large groups of aviators got out like that and she was able to engineer that did she ever face fear and doubt or was that just something that you know i'm, I'm not gonna if i don't if i don't deal with it i don't have to live with it she did um her friends um talk about even her depression things weren't going really? very well for her. her her agents were being betrayed i mean the nazis were very good at running double agents so they rolled up networks and tortured people and got them to name names. So yeah, she lived in a climate of fear, but I think the thing that impresses me is that her men never knew that. They always saw her as very strong, fearless. Um, I tell the story in the podcast how she, her first time over there had to escape across the Pyrenees, the mountain range. And there were men who barely made it. And she had a wooden leg, you know, she's a woman dressed very lightly, not not dressed, not dressed for the snow and ice up there. But she led by example. She didn't complain and she got them across and and they just looked at her really as um, almost as a superhuman figure by the end. You know, one of the things in, in listening to the podcast that, that I got, it's one of those where, you know, the, the child inside of me going, you know, Virginia sitting down with Tom Cruise after watching Top Gun and her looking at him going, dude, that's nothing. <laughs> that's that's a great point actually I, I love top gun mavericks so i'm not going to diss tom but yeah she did things you know she did things with so little support i mean she was dropped in there um she had a cover story and that's about it she had to sort of make up things as she went along so um yeah the tom cruises of the world the mavericks of the world have the entire military complex behind them uh, virginia yeah. hall really just had her own wits so yeah, very impressive. And um, I just think it comes back to her intelligence, really. She she kind of looked around the corner and, and saw what was coming. She knew how the Nazis were going to try to capture her or take apart her network. And so she was very proactive in, in preventing that. How did she, she re- uh, receive word that Robert uh, Alesh was, was on her tail? Well, you know, she had met him early on. He was, um, Robert Alesh is a fascinating guy. He's a priest um, who came across as this very pro-French resistance warrior. Um, And because he was a priest, he was, you know, he got that instant respect in in France, which was very Catholic at the time. But he was a double agent. 
Uh, he's working for the Nazis, um, and he used the 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 costume of a priest really to do these evil things. Um, so Robert Alesh not only you know revealed spies, but he would also entice French people into the resistance and then betray them. So mm. he's a really dark character. Um, so she initially met him um, and had sort of mixed emotions. She thought there was something that he wasn't telling her. Again, that spidey sense that she had of <laughs> who was trustworthy or not. So really that first meeting is when she she had that instinct, this guy is not all he says he is. So um, he became, you know, it became sort of a war between two people. He was trying to track her down, trying to betray her to the Nazis, and she was trying to stay one step ahead of him and barely was able to do that. Is there a side of your creative imagination that sits back after, after putting all these podcasts together and you go, this would have made a great novel? And, and you know, because, I mean, th- this is the kind of stuff that draws people into war stories. Yeah, um, I think a novel or a movie, I mean, yeah, I tend to think cinematically. So um, I just think there are, you know, we've had tons of stories about male spies. I mean, we have James Bond leading the pack, but very few stories of real life female spies. And I think their time is coming because they really did essential things in the lead up to D-Day in France and served in other countries as well. So um, I think you know, there was just a book on Josephine Baker who did great things as an entertainer and, and as a allied spy in, in Paris. Um, so I think it's, you know, I think it's the women's turn. It, it's finally coming full circle. Mm. It involves prison breaking. I mean, that, that just blows me away that she was so actively involved with so many different levels of the war. But when, for the prison breaks and stuff, oh, my God. Yeah, she had... Um, there were 12 people in 1941 who were in a, a very tough prison called Mozak, um, and they needed to get out. I mean, these were essential sort of people with um, very crucial information to the war. So she smuggled in um, sort of you know, little saws and little devices that could <laughs> help them uh, get away. And they she put them in sardine tins, uh, sardine cans, um, and slowly built up this this sort of cell within the prison. And finally they escaped uh, in 1942. They went into the woods. The Nazis were chasing them, but she managed to get them to Lyon and from there on to London. So, um, you know, she was just brilliant at that aspect of her job at organizing, but also she was on the ground. She was there when the, when the weapons were dropped from airplanes, you know, she did everything. Mm. We, we talked a little bit about about her depressions and stuff like that. And then and then to hear that she changed her name to Marie. I, I'm one of those people that when because radio name versus real name, two completely different people. Same. Th- I wonder the, the same thing with Virginia Hall versus Marie. Did it change her personality? You know, one of the things that I've learned writing about spies is that they're able to, you know, to have compartments inside themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are sort of you know, amateur actors, they, they have this ability to do things in character that they wouldn't be able to do, you know, as themselves. So, um, I do think she had this ability to sort of, um, separate her real self from this character that she was playing. She dressed very differently. She would change her hair, um, because she had this limp and, and that was a, a marker for the Nazis to chase her down. So she knew that she had to sort of be different just to survive. Um, yeah, so she, 
you know, she could have gone into the theater. She was very good at, at becoming someone else. Mm. Um, and that's something she had all of her life. My dad always talked about how cold it was. I mean, he would look at me and say, you have no idea what cold is until you sit in a pit in, in Germany uh, in the middle of a war. And, and so, I mean, I mean, for her to, to embrace that as well. Right. Yeah, the physical aspect, I think um, we haven't talked about a lot, but she had a wooden leg and she had to be out there in the fields waiting for the airplanes to come. And she couldn't really betray any discomfort or pain to her men um, because they would lose respect for her. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a lonely existence. I mean, physically, it was very tough. Mentally, she was alone. She didn't know who she could trust. She wasn't a native of France. You know, she didn't have this network of friends and family that she could fall back on. She was she was all alone. So. Um, yeah, that's one of the most impressive sort of aspects of her story. And listeners need to understand, this is a time period where there was no internet, there is no satellite, there is there are no drones, there's no, there's nothing that like what we have today, that this was the cold, hard facts, and she was able to really be a strong figure in this. Absolutely. She, she didn't have all those assets. Really, she, what she had was personal relationships. She was able to sort of bind people to her and, and become loyal to her. So... Um, you didn't get your information from newspapers what, or whatever. You got it from a maid or a butler or, you know, a delivery man. So she had to sort of get these people to trust her very quickly um, and evaluate that information in a way that today is sort of done for us over the Internet. Wow. I, what, I, I call your podcast Digging Up the Bones. And, and what I mean by that is, is that it's almost like you've reached out there and you're holding on to the bones of this hi- historic story. And, and it's speaking through you to reach us. Well, thanks. I, I like that. I like that name. Um, yeah, that's one of the great things about writing about history is that you're able to discover these um, individuals who really helped turn the course of history and then, you know, fell out of favor or became obscure and sort of bring them back to life. So that is one of my favorite parts of, of writing these stories. Wow. You've got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, sir. I would love that. Thanks for having me. Will you be brilliant today? Okay. You too.